by the end of this sermon, you're going to come out of here. You're going to leave out of here understanding that God loves you. All right. First John chapter three, verse one, and the first part of this verse, I'm not going to read the full verse, but it says this. Uh, it says, see what kind of love the father, everyone say love. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called what? Children of God. And so we are those that know Jesus. We understand that. So I, I want to just talk to you today on this simple subject, miraculous love. Everyone look at your neighbor and say miraculous love. Amen. Uh, and, and see what kind of love the father has given to us. He's given it to us. And he loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just take control. Lord, you already are in control. But, God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to soften hearts, God, that you would begin to uh, till up hard hearts today, God. I pray, Lord, that the, the uh, uh, watering of the word of God would go forth today, Lord, that lives would be changed, that the hard-hearted would be turned to, to soft heart again, God, that it would be a fleshly heart like the scripture tells us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me today, Lord. Your word is already anointed, but God, I pray, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel today like only, only you can. God, I, I give myself to you today, and Lord, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, amen. How many uh, can say that, that Jesus loves you today? Amen. Uh, one of the one of the greatest things we can learn, and I, I said this as a child sitting on our mom's knee or in the on the couch with one of the first things that we learn. And I, I can remember as a young child, as as far back, my mom singing to me that Jesus loves me, and 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 I love to see little kids sing that song when they can't even hardly talk, but they'll still sing the song. They understand something there. And how many know that that Jesus loves us? Amen. And John tells us uh, that, that God is love, and he says that in 1 John. Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sin, all right? Do you see the, the common theme here? Jeremiah tells Israel and us that God will love you with an everlasting love. How many know that God loves us? Uh, uh, and it's, it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, oftentimes in our lives we don't understand, we fail to understand that God truly loves us. Life gets in the way, things happen. And so um, I, I need to say this, I, uh, I can go on and on about God's miraculous love towards us. Why you call it miraculous? Because it's undeserving. I don't deserve it and it's supernatural and it's something that I can't handle but he still gives it freely. Amen. And I'm grateful for that. God is love, but can I tell you, there's facets to God. God is not just only love. God is holy as well. Amen. How many know that God is just as well? And, and there's these facets. And so when we talk about love, God is love. That is indeed true. But God also is holy. I want to just kind of lean into holiness for just a second here. And I'm going somewhere with, with, so just hang on, buckle up, just stay with me, okay? When God came down from Mount Sinai, you remember that story back in Exodus, and he told Israel they had to stay back because if they got too close to the mountain, they would be consumed and they would be killed. Why? Because God is holy and they are not. And he says, if you get into my presence and, and you are unholy, you will be consumed, you will die Moses said, you know, when he was up there with the Lord, he asked the Lord, he said, show me your glory, Lord. He cried out, show me your glory. 
And God, being the great God that he is, he's like, if I show you my glory, you're going to be a crispy critter, Moses. You're going to be burnt up. But what I'll do is I'll walk away, and you'll get to see the behind me. You will not see my face because you'll be consumed because I am a holy God. And you know the story. He went by, and he saw his backside. But his face glowed with the presence of God. He went down off the mountain, uh, uh, and, and they had to cover his face. And so we know that in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet, in the presence of God, he said this. I'm going to paraphrase this, and, and we sing a song around here called, uh, 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 you know, about God's holiness, t- talking about this moment in Isaiah chapter 6. He says this, wow, God, and then he basically says, woe is me. When he's in the presence of God there, when he's uh, in, the, in the throne room of heaven, if you read that, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, he says wow, God, I'm, I'm blown away, but, but woe is me. And he says this, I am unclean. I am undone. I should not be here. And, and you know the, the story, the angel comes down and, and touches his lips with, with his cold because his, he says his lips are unclean. The Bible tells us this. That our righteousness is as filthy rags. Can I tell you something? Everybody in here, I don't care how, how good you've been in your life. When you compare your righteousness to God's holiness, you will not add up. Scripture tells us that time and time again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how good you are, come on, God is holy on a whole nother level. Amen. And and so God is holy, and we are not. So here's what we know. Uh, We cannot approach God, okay? In the Old Testament, we could not approach God. But I want to make this statement, all right? And if you're a writer, you need to write this down. And and, and it's this simple statement. In God's holiness, he is unapproachable because we are unholy, and he is holy. But in God's love, God approaches us. Let me say that again because that, that, that is, there's a lot of potency there. In God's holiness, he is unapproachable, but in God's love, he approaches us. Amen. There, there, there's a principle here that we need to get at. If you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. I'm laying a little bit of a foundation. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere. I promise. I promise we're going somewhere. Romans 8. And I want to speak on this miraculous love. Romans 8, chapter 35, it says this. This is a very potent, powerful scripture. Most of us that have been in church for any amount of time can quote this scripture because we've heard it growing up. And it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Question, right? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The next portion of the scripture says, as it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be what? Slaughtered. Verse 36. No. In all these things, we are more than, we are what? Through him who what? Woo. Come on, somebody. Verse 38. Verse 38 says this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things uh, present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
uh, uh, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. <laughs> there's something that is potent in, in that, and there's a, there's a principle in this passage, okay? If you're not a theologian, I'm going to help you out. The principle of this passage, the main idea of this passage, the theology of this passage is this right here. Are you ready? Jesus loves you. That's it. Everyone say, Jesus loves me. So I want to look at this. I want to break this down for us. And, and, and so the first, here's my first point right here. God love, God's love gives us confidence, all right? Amen. How many know that God's love gives us confidence? Amen. You know, uh, uh, I can say this about, about my wife, and, and when she's around, uh, you know what, I know she loves me, and you know what, when she's around, she gives me confidence, right? How many have a good friend that comes around, and, and they can help give you confidence? You're about to get in, get in a fight. No, you don't, no, no. And your friend comes up, you get confidence, right? Come on, some of you say, you're talking about my past, pastor, leave me alone, all right? Confidence, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Two questions here. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And here's the problem with us. That, that's, those are questions that the Apostle Paul, he, and you've got to understand, Paul is writing to the Romans here, and they are going through crazy persecution. They're being, uh, they're, 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 uh, for their beliefs, they're being thrown out uh, with animals and, and, and who are beasts, wild beasts. While people are watching them, they are being killed by wild beasts and, and, and because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? Here's the issue with us. Christians are subject to discouragement and disappointment, right? We're all humans, right? Anybody been disappointed this week by anything? Come on, lift your hand. Everybody in here, you need to raise your hand somewhere. You didn't get pickles on your hamburger. Come on, I was disappointed, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And Paul is asking these questions, and they're rhetorical questions. They're not meant for us to answer these questions, but to make us think. Come on, right? And what he gets us thinking about, listen, he's saying, he's asking these questions, and what he's trying to get us to understand is God's love is vast, and God's love is wide. More than we can even comprehend and even understand. So there's seven things in these questions that, that can move us, and, and, and we understand that God loves us. But here's the thing, discouragement sets in, right? And there's seven things that can happen. He, he lists seven things that can make us miss this principle that Jesus loves me. You ready for this? Number one, tribulation. What is tribulation? That's pressure. Come on, anybody ever felt like your life, you're in the pressure you're in the, the struggle, right? Uh, uh, anybody ever, ever uh, uh, I remember one time I was working uh, in the oil fields, and I was working on a truck, and I was filling up a tire, and I just repaired it. And it was, a, it was one of those repairs that was questionable, and I wasn't sure if it was going to last. Come on, you guys have seen me work, right? And I wasn't sure it was going to last. And, and I'm filling up the tire, and, I, and I, I'm sitting there, and out of nowhere, the, the tire blows up, and I thought World War III started. I went running because I was scared. I was the only one there. 
and, and but but there was pressure. There was a lot of pressure. How many feel like that your life is in the pressure cooker? Come on. You feel like everything's being thrown at you and discouragement sets in. Here's the second thing, distress. Everyone say distress. In the Greek, this means this, a narrow place. The world is crashing in around you. Have you ever felt like that? Man, no matter what I do, I feel like everything's caving in on me. My finances are messed up. My wife's mad at me. My car's breaking down. Something's wrong with the house. Come on, everything is falling apart, right? Distress makes us lose our focus off of God's love, and we focus on our situation. Here's the next one, persecution, hostile, and and, and, and this is somebody that is pursuing you. Come on, right? And, and, and we have to understand this, that, that the enemy is hot on our heels. Come on, he doesn't want to see you succeed. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus said, I come to give you life and life more abundant. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But come on, the flip side of that is God gives us life and life more abundantly. But what happens in persecution, you feel like the enemy's right there after you. How many remember growing up in church? How many people have been in church all your life? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody grow up in church where somebody got up and they begin to testify and they, they're just like, the devil's been all over me all week. Come on, you hear them start like that and you know, oh, no, here we go, right? Persecution, he's all over me. How about this, famine? Famine is this, a lack of food. Maybe in your life, maybe your finances are not where they need to be. And maybe you're struggling to put food on the table. And maybe you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. He's touching all points of life. Here's the next one, nakedness. And that's a lack of clothes, all right? And, and famine and nakedness, they deal with these two things, the basic necessities that we need for life, right? And the enemy knows that if he could take out those things, guess what? Uh, we lose our, our security. We, we lose our own trust in the Lord. How about this? Danger, peril, something that is, that is dangerous, something that, 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 that can destroy, right? What about this? Sword, physical violence against Christians and, and things like that. So he lists these things. Sometimes when we're going through something, this is our first thought. Why? Anybody ever been there? Why, God? Why am I sick? Why is my husband going through this? God, why did I lose my job? Right? And we, we begin to question God and we begin to doubt God. And sometimes we even challenge God's love for us. Lord, do you even love me? Come on. Am I being real? Come on, am I being real? Am I, am I getting down and sitting right where you're at today? And, and this is what the devil does and the world. It, it, it fills our life with circumstances that if, if we're all honest here, we could admit that, hey, we've questioned God's love for us. And we've said, God, are you, are you truly there? Lord, are you really there, right? It reminds me when I was growing up, my parents, my dad would correct me on a few occasions, and I probably deserved it. Now that I look back, I'm a little bit older, but at the time, I didn't think I deserved it. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only person being honest in here? And, and at the time, I thought I, I didn't deserve it, and usually I would be in my room crying, and I'd be thinking about what my dad uh, corrected me in some form or fashion for something, and I would be like, my dad doesn't even love me. I'll run away tomorrow, and you know, and I'm making all the, yeah, come on, anybody being real? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Not even understanding my dad loves me, he corrected me because he loves me. Right? I understand that now. I didn't understand it at the time, right? And it sounds like us as Christians. Why did the Lord let this happen to me? 
And what we do is we begin to put our own hands instead of trusting God in process. The issue is, is not if God's uh, love changes, but our perspective of it does. Come on, right? We question, God, why, is, why am I going through this? I'm not sure that I can pull through this one, Lord. I, I don't know. We doubt God's love. But in the midst of us doubting all of God's love, guess whose love still remains? Jesus loves me. Whoo, you know what? Even if my dad would have heard me pouting in my room going, my dad doesn't love me, my dad would have said, I still love you. Amen? And I don't know, when I think about that, that that's miraculous love. That's supernatural. That is, that is against everything I know. Why would you love me, Lord, when I've doubted and I, I've, I've accused you of things that, that are not true? Come on, right? But God's love makes the difference in our outlook. It gives us strength. It gives us endurance as believers. And it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, uh, we, we can know that God's love is still with us. Amen. If you're with me, say, I'm with you, Pastor. All right. God's love should give us confidence and faith that God has got us, all right? Point one right there. Here's number two right here. If you're a note taker, write this down. God's love guides us, amen? How many are glad that God's love guides us? I'm so glad my dad guided me and helped me. He's made, he helped make me into the person that I am today. You say, boy, he could have did a little better. I know. But, but he did the best that he could. But his love guided me, come on, with a belt sometimes. I know I, I can't say that in today's term. But he had a belt that had his name on the back of it. Sometimes his name was in reverse on my rear side. Just going to throw that out there. Amen. God's love guides us. Amen. Verse, verse 36 says this, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so in, in this, uh, our conquest to, uh, for victory, Satan, he endeavors to diminish the power of God's love through deception. He knows he can't stop God's love, but what he can do is get you worried about your situation and not focused on God's love. Come on, right? So God's omnipotent. His love brings victory over conflict, okay? That is, a, that is a common thing. That is a common theme throughout the Bible. But there's no, listen to me, listen to me, child of God. There is no defense against God's love. It always wins. All right. Write it down. Write it down. Here Paul is saying, God, God is for you and me. Amen. How many are glad that God is for us? How many of you know that sometimes we need to be reminded of that? All right? My dad would get on to me. My mom would come along. Come on, how many of you know that moms are a little bit sweeter than dads at times, right? And she'd be like, your dad is not mad at you. He loves you. He's going to make it better. I mean, I promise you, he just wants you to be a good person. I love you. Come on, wipe those tears out of your face. Come on, get that snot out of your nose. Stick your chest out and be the man that God's called you to be. Okay. Right? So Paul's saying, hey, God is for us because he, he gave you the best thing. You know what, what God gave you? His son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on, amen? All right, I, I need to know you're awake. Here's what we know is God will work all things together. Come on. He, we, the scripture says that he will be with you. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. We've just got to learn to trust him. You say, well, pastor, if that's true, why do we go through tribulation, famine, distress, nakedness, peril, and sore? 
Why do we go through those things? The answer is found here, Paul quoting in the Old Testament here, this that he says, he says, it is written. When he says it is written, he means in the Old Testament. Psalm 44, 11 is where it is. And, and he talks about this. I want to show you this, this video. And, and how many know that sheep are not the brightest animals in the world? Amen. How many know that the Bible describes the people of God like sheep? You know, sometimes we don't make great decisions. And I saw this video, and I want to share you this video because this is a lot like a bunch of us Christians. This poor lamb is stuck in a ditch. This boy pulls it out, and... Watch it again in slow-mo. We're sheep. We're sheep. Say, I don't like being called a sheep. Well, it's what the Bible says. And I, Isaiah 53, 16 says, all we like sheep have gone, what, astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, talking about Christ taking care of that. So uh, here's the thing. Sheep are not the brightest animals in the world. I'm not saying that you're not smart. You're a smart person. But our tendency as sheep, come on, is to do what we want rather than what God wants. Right? And, and so uh, here's the thing. We are a community of believers here. Cornerstone, you are a community of believers of sheep. Everyone say, bah. Right, good. Man, you guys are good. How many were in 4-H? I heard 4-H in the house, and, and come on. Last I checked, there are no NFL teams called the Lambs. Today in the Super Bowl, we have, you know, the San Francisco Lambs. No, why? Because Lambs don't have any good self-defense. Come on, they need help constantly, right? They wander, they fall in ditches. You pull them out, they go back into the ditch. They chase each other. Tristan was telling me this in a devotion that she was reading, that if one lamb begins to go around a tree, other lambs begin to follow that lamb, and they'll keep going in a circle thinking that they're going somewhere, and they're going nowhere. All we like sheep have gone Astray, uh, that's what the scripture tells us. The problem is we sheep like to do what we want. You know, a great example of this in scripture is this, the, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And, and this son, the youngest son, he had free will. And he went to his dad. He said, listen, I want my inheritance. I want to I wanna take what is mine already. And basically what he told his dad was, you're as good as dead to me. And his dad says, okay, take your inheritance. And he leaves and he goes away to a foreign country and he squanders all his money. And, and he finds himself in a bad, 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 bad situation. Man, that was perfect. The jokes just tell themselves. And, and. And there he is, he is blown all 
his inheritance, all his money, and he finds himself in a foreign country, and he finds himself feeding pigs. He's a good Jewish boy who shouldn't have been around pigs, but he finds himself feeding the pigs, and in the process of feeding the pigs, he's like, man, this looks good. I think I can eat this, and then he, the Bible says this, when he came to himself, in that moment, he began to understand, hey, I, I have been, I, I am where I, I should not be. I have made a bad decision here, bad decision here. And if I go home to my father, at least I can, my, my father's servants do better than what I'm doing right now. And if I just go home and ask my dad to be a servant, I'll be treated better than what I am right now. So my best thing is to run home to the father. And I love the father's response. This is a great example of Christ's love for us. When he comes, the father is sitting there waiting for him. I love the, the beautiful imagery here. And when he sees him at a distance, the father runs out to meet him. Beautiful story. He grabs him. He puts a ring on his finger. Come on. He puts a robe back on him to show who he is. And then he looks. He says, let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf and because my son is home. And it's such a beautiful redemption story. Come on. All of us in our lives, come on, we've all strayed. We've all went our own way. And this is what I understand about, uh, what you need to understand about God's love. I don't care where you've been and what you've done. The Father is sitting there waiting on you to come home. Amen? Jesus, he never once told us that we'd be free from trials, did he? Matter of fact, he said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. He told us that. There'll be a squeezing. There'll be pressure. That's what he said. Those are Jesus' words. But then he said this to his disciples. He said, take heart, for I have what? Overcome the world. So not only is, is his love with us, but we, we are overcomers and we are conquerors through him. Here, that leads me to point three right here. God's love makes us conquerors. Everyone say conquerors. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than through who? Us. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. As a Christian, we often go down in defeat because we try to make it in our own strength. I can stand, I can do this on my own, right? And, and when the trouble or the trial comes and the testing strikes, our biggest flaw is this. Uh, we, we, we forget about God's love towards us. We're focused on what's going on around us. And, 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 and God loves, uh, uh, God, God's love knows no defeat, amen? There's no mountain too steep and there's no valley too deep that God's love will not meet you, amen? How many can say, thank you, Lord? Amen. So, so uh, the Greek word here uh, for more than conquerors, and I'm not going to pronounce it. It's U P E R N I K A W. There you go. Hooper Nikawa. I should have studied that out a little bit better, but I, I love, I love, I, I tried to, I, I practiced that, and I, I, I don't remember how to pronounce it. But, but the, the, the English words more than conquerors is two Greek words. All right, that word, and it means this. A decisive victory. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, that's a guarantee. A a, a, not a divisive, a decisive victory. So it means this, a, a not just a conqueror, but a hyper conqueror above, a super conqueror. Come on, a big S, a super conqueror, an over.
over conqueror. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you are a super conqueror through Jesus. Imagine this. Come on, I'm going to talk to the car guys in here. If you're a car guy, say, rum, rum, all right? All right, so listen. Imagine having a, a, a pro-charged kitted V8 car, and, and you have power to spare. Come on, somebody, right? You got extra power. Guess what? You have that car. You can go to JC in that car. Come on, somebody, right? And you ought to. Vroom, 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 right? All the way there. And, and you say, well, and you can go to JC to get groceries. But, if you, but here's the thing. You can get 10 tickets going back and forth, right? Because you have extra power that, that it's available to you, right? Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you got tickets doing that, right? Because there, there's much more power under the hood. Can I tell you, woman of God, man of God, there is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are supercharged with Jesus Christ. Come on, he gives you power to overcome sin. Come on, somebody, amen. You are a super conqueror. I, I'd say most of us know this verse. That, that we are more than conquerors, right? How many have quoted that verse? I'm more than a conqueror. I know the scripture says that. But, but I'm afraid most of us don't understand it, 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 what it means exactly. It's a, it's a misunderstanding of the meaning. How many remember that great theological movie, The Three Amigos? We are the three amigos. All right. When they get the telegram and they're out of work and they're sitting on the street, the guy shows up and he gives them a telegram for three struggling Hollywood uh, silent film actors. If you haven't seen it, you know, just give you a little heads up. Uh, and, and, and the people that sent him the message, there are people who are being attacked by this guy named El Guapo in, in Mexico. And they, they, they watch the movies and they think that these guys are real, all right? And, and so they send them this telegram and they don't have enough money to send everything. And they, just, they send it in a way where it seems like uh, that that uh, they can go down there and be with this. And it says this, the infamous, they say the infamous uh, guy, El Guapo. And so they're sitting there and they say, and one of the guys says, infamous. And he goes, what does that mean, infamous? Everyone say, infamous. And he says, one of the guys looks at him and goes, infamous means that he is more famous than what we thought. How many know that's not what infamous, infamous means? Infamous, in, infamous means bad. But they go down there and, and in the process of that, and there's a misunderstanding of this word. And I can't help but think that a lot of us have this misunderstanding of what more than a conqueror really means. Why? Because we haven't got it down here in our hearts. Oh, so, so we see that. So, so, too, we do the same, but, but, but the opposite. So Paul is not giving a positive confession here. He's not just saying, hey, you're, you're a super conqueror, pat on the back. No, no, no. He is telling us something that we have the ability to walk in victory over sin, that Jesus Christ paid the price, that Jesus already beat sin, hath held death and the grave forever, once and for all, and he reigns supreme forever and ever and ever and ever over everything. Amen? To be a conqueror means to rejoice when the battle is over. How many get excited when you win? Woo! But this is what this actually means, all right? You ready, Riz? 
to be a super conqueror means that you rejoice not only when the battle's over, but in the middle of the battle. You know, you're a little bit crazy when you're in the middle of the battle and you're already rejoicing. You know, the people are like, whoa, back up, that guy's crazy. And so that's what that means. It's what makes believers who are facing incredible tribulation, distress, and persecution be able to stand in the midst of that and lift their hands and worship and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I will trust you, Lord. Amen. So God has made you a conqueror. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a conqueror through Jesus. Look at the neighbor on the other side you don't like as much. Say, get it through your skull. Can I say this? Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, listen to me, listen to me. You can live above the reproach of sin. You can live a life that honors God. You don't have to walk in sin. You know, the Holy Spirit can lead and guide you and keep you from your foot from stepping into sinful things. Come on. The things that have you bound, you can have freedom from and you can walk above them because you are what? More than a, more than a what? You're a super conqueror. You can live in victory. Amen. You can live in confidence. God's got me, and I'm going to worship him in the middle of my trial. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but God, I trust you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. So how can we do this? Read the verse. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can I just say this? It's through Jesus. It always was Jesus. It still is Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. Come on, worship team. Come on. God's love is constant. God's love is constant. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The King James Version says, I I like the wording a little bit better. It says, I am persuading. Meaning this. I have already made up my mind. Amen. Come on, right? I'm not changing my mind. Paul was confident in God's love. I am persuaded. Come on, right? He knew that it would that that God's love would endure through any and every situation. Do you say well, what made Paul confident in God's love? I'll, I'll give you a list. Are you ready for this? I mentioned this on, on Wednesday night. You know, Paul was stoned nearly to death. Paul was beaten. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was thrown out at, at open sea. Paul was cast into dungeons and jails. And he was bit by a poisonous snake. You know, those are just a few things. And Paul had experienced some things. How many can say in here, hey, Pastor, I have experienced some things in my life, but God's love has remained. Amen. So he, he experienced all these things except death up to this point. That's the one thing that he had not experienced, but he was knocking on the door. It was coming right up around the corner, all right? But Paul was confident that Christ's love for him was so strong and that it was enough to keep him together in all that he faced. Let me ask you this. Can God's love hold you together in the middle of your circumstance? Amen. If God loved Paul, can I say this? He loves you. 
if God held Paul together, he can hold you together. Amen? Here's the thing. People make excuses for a lack of faith and a lack of hope and a, and a lack of love. But can I tell you something? God's love is constant, and it's sure always. Everyone say, Jesus loves me. That doesn't change. His love towards you doesn't change. And the principle that Jesus loves you, it, it does not change. God always loves you. But here's the thing. We don't always experience God's love the way that we think we should. I'll give you a good example right here. I got this little illustration in here. Some of you say, Pastor, are you going to open that in church? Yeah, I don't believe in luck, all right? How many know that the light is shining on me right here? All the stage lights are on me right here. How many know that the, that the light of God is constantly shining on us? It is constantly with us. And this is what happens in our life when we come across circumstances. His love is still present. But what happens is our circumstances... So what happens is the light that was shining on me, guess what? I have, I can't, I can't really see the light. I I've, I've keep it from hitting me. My circumstance I've allowed, it's still shining, right? It's still there. Didn't change. It's still in the room. But guess what? I have put something up between me and God. Now let me ask you this. How marvelous is the assurance that there is absolutely nothing that can come between God's love and you. Think about that for a minute. God's love is always constant, but here's the thing, we are not. I want to end on this, this great example in Scripture. All right, bear with me. All right, bear with me. It's a man in the Bible, his name is Peter, all right? How many know who Peter was? The rock, you know? He, he, was, he was right there with Jesus, and they were about to take Jesus to, to be crucified. And, and, and what did he do? He pulled out his sword to fight for Jesus and, and cut off the, the soldier's ear, and Jesus healed his ear. And, and, and one of the things that Peter always said is, Jesus, I, I will always be with you. I'll die for you. I, I will go to the end. And, and he, he said this. He even told Jesus, I, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. But he found himself, after Jesus was taken to trial, running distant from where Jesus was, right? How many know that all the disciples scattered except for one who made it to the foot of the cross, which was John? And the reason I believe that he was there is for Mary's sake. I think the Lord did that uh, intentionally. Uh, you know, that just goes how God doesn't leave anything unbuttoned. But, but, but the Bible says this about Peter as he followed from a distance. And Jesus is over there. He was the guy that he's followed for three, three and a half years. And there he is. He's going. And he's just watching at a distance because, you know what, he don't want to put himself in a, in a bad situation. And seeing Jesus on trial, someone recognized him, and they, they recognized him by the accent. And there he is. He's in the, he's in the court of Caiaphas' house, and, and Jesus is in trial on the inside. And while he's sitting there, someone recognizes him. They're like, man, you sound like a guy uh, from this general area. And he's like, and he said, you, you, you were one of Jesus' disciples. And what does Peter say? Nope, wasn't me. Nope, not me. 
And, uh, and then, uh, you know, this person, Preston, must have been an extrovert. You know, I, I think you probably are, uh, you know, because, you know, I'm pretty sure your accent's giving you away. And he said, no, not me. I, I, I wasn't a disciple of Jesus, right? And then, again, same thing. They press a little further. And, and the Bible even says at one point that he, he, he curses because he's so angry at the, at the person. And, 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 the, and then after that moment, the rooster crows, right? And if you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says this. that I don't know how, where, how Jesus did it or where he did it, but Jesus was in a position. I don't know if he looked out a window and he saw him. But the Bible says that Jesus looked at Peter after the rooster crowed. I don't think it was a look of, of meanness, but it was, it was a look of, of discernment. Saying, I, I see where you're at right now. I understand where you're at. So look at this. In John chapter 1, fast, fast forward here. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because Peter had been, Jesus had predicted it. He said, Peter, you're going to be sifted like wheat. You're going to be sifted like wheat in the middle of all this. And all these things are going to happen. And Jesus said it would happen. And here's where Peter was. He was broken. He was lost. He felt like he had failed God. He felt like he was not worthy of being called a disciple or used by, by Jesus. And you know what the Bible says? He went back to fishing. I'm going to go back to what's, what I used to. I, I left that to follow Jesus, and I failed miserably, so I'm going back. In John chapter 1, the risen Jesus is out on the shores of the sea. The seas where Peter is fishing. And he's out, he's making breakfast. Fish and rolls, I don't know. And in the process, Peter sees, sees him and, and the Lord calls out to him. And they come back, they realize it's the Lord. They, they, they're afraid to ask him if he's the Lord. They, they, but they go to him and there they are on the, on the shore. They're eating breakfast there and and Jesus, in this intimate moment with Peter, he looks at him. And I love this. This is one of my favorite stories. It's the greatest, I, one of the greatest stories of redemption, I think, in, in Scripture. I love it because Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, I think he was a little bit of a hothead. Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, well, feed my lambs. And then Peter says, or the Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I, I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. And he looks at him again and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he looks at, Peter looks at Jesus again and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And in that moment, come on, I believe that God's redemption, God's love. I think when Jesus saw him at the fire pit, his love resonated to where he was at. He was at the worst possible place that Peter could have been. He was broken, but God's love stayed with him. How many know that God's love will pull us back? It'll bring us back into right relationship. Come on, it, it'll help us to see clear. I love this. So Peter, he messed up. His righteousness was, was not worthy of God's calling. He had filthy rags. And when I began to read that and I began to concentrate on that, 
the Holy Spirit showed me something that I've never seen, and I'm sorry I'm going to get messed up right now. Jesus, because of his love, he approached Peter. He didn't say, Peter, get it together and come to me. No, no, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the shore. I'm waiting on you. I see you. Better things are coming. So the principle here is this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Come on, say it. Jesus loves me. Come on, say it. Jesus loves me. Amen. Listen, it, 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 it's through sometimes tribulations and persecutions and peril and distress comes along and we begin to question God's goodness and we begin to say, God, where is your love? God, where is your love? And God's like, it has been there the whole time. God's love didn't change my reality of God's love changed. And God's saying this. My love is free. Come freely. Amen. God loves us in a miraculous way. Amen. How many know that? Amen. So I want to just tell you this. How much does God love us? Romans 8. Romans 5.8 says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still, what, sinners, Christ died. When you were at your worst, Christ was at his best. <laughs> That's miraculous. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, so that in him we might become what? The my righteousness by myself is filthy rags, but, but with Jesus, guess what? I'm washed white as snow. Amen? See, the facets of the Lord, we could never be holy enough, come on, to, to approach him. But Christ lived the perfect life here on, on this earth, and he was righteous. And through his sacrifice, come on, we are made right. And, and Hebrews tells us this, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the price that Jesus Christ paid. Amen? One more verse right here, John three sixteen. For God so... For God so the world, come on, that, that he gave his only son that whoever, anybody, I don't care how far you've gone, anybody believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Can I just say this? God's love for us is nothing short of miraculous. Will you bow your heads in this building?